Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Doing well? Good. Good, good. For, uh, for those of you who are visiting today or this is your first time here, I want to say welcome. We're glad to have you here. Uh, this is your thousandth time here, and I did the math. That's about 20 years, give or take a Sunday. You're welcome, too. It's always good to see uh, old friends uh, in a church with us. Uh, if you're wondering, hey, who's this guy? I like the tall guy that preached last week. <laughs> My name's Dan. I am an elder here at Philida Baptist. And uh, <clears throat> the tall guy last week was Scott. He's an elder here at Philida as well. Lord willing, he will be here next week to preach on his series. Uh, he said what? Where he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings that Jesus has there. Um, today we're going to pick up from our parallel series, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and today we're going to be looking at faithfulness. And I don't know what leaps to your mind when I say that word, faithfulness. Uh, in mine, it's actually uh, my relationships with my wife, uh, rather my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my family, and my relationship with my friends. Uh, going a little further, it also makes me think of, uh, brings up the images of like a family pet, a dog or a cat, something that way. Uh, they're really faithful to us. Or of a soldier in the armed forces, faithfully serving our country um, or protecting our freedoms. Uh, or a parent caring for a child. Uh, other images that come into my mind are maybe brand loyalty. Uh, Ford, Chevy Dodge, Microsoft, Apple, or Android. Or Toyotas. That's cool, too. <laughs> right? Brand loyalty that way, or uh, household products, you know, Johnson & Johnson or uh, Procter & Gamble, those, those types of things. Why do we continue to buy those brands? Why do, we, why do we like Toyota? Why do we like Ford and Chevy? It's because we have a history with them, right? And they, they've treated us right. And it's that, it's that mindset that, uh, that comes to mind when I hear the word faithfulness. But it, it caused me also to think, is my, is my definition of faithfulness uh, too narrow? Or is my idea of faithfulness, is it too broad? What does the Bible actually have to say about faithfulness? Do my ideas match up with the Bible? Um, our key verse for this series is Galatians uh, 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, and uh, it's Paul speaking to the Galatians, saying, the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Right? Um, what did Paul mean, right? This is that question I asked. What did Paul mean when he said faithfulness? What is he talking about there? And in cross-referencing scripture and, and looking at commentaries, um, I came up with uh, what I feel is a actual good biblical definition of faithfulness here. Uh, faithfulness is the quality of keeping commitments in relationships. It's the quality of keeping commitments in relationships. And with that definition, I can look at what comes to my mind, and I can say, okay, I'm not too far off from what the, the Bible is talking about here, then uh, maybe that's kind of where the, 
the, the idea of a dog comes in, being loyal and faithful that way, right? Always happy to see you. If we go back into Galatians, though, and we look, and we see that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we see that it's the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that is of the Spirit of, of God, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the, the one that enables us to have that. So that caused me to actually look and see, well, where, in, where have we seen God be faithful to his creation? Where have we seen him demonstrating that commitment his relational commitments to his creation, right? And uh, if you have a worship folder, there is an insert there. I would encourage you to take it out. I've got three lines there at the top. I've got a small list here, but I would encourage you, uh, you write down what I'm going to say, that's fine, but maybe come up with some ways that, where have you seen God's faithfulness towards you, Right? Uh, in looking uh, at just kind of the first two books of the Bible, in Genesis, we see God's faithfulness in creation when uh, he saved Noah, right? He, he brought uh, the eight people on the ark after Noah had built it. He brought uh, the animals. He closed the door, and he saved them through that calamity, that judgment. And we actually still experience God's faithfulness from that. Anytime we look up in the sky after it rains, uh, a rainbow is God's covenant with us that he won't flood the earth again. He won't destroy us that way, right? He won't do that again. Later on in uh, Genesis, we see God speak with a man named Abram, and he makes a promise to him that he'll make his descendants a great nation and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by uh, his line. That took a very long time to happen, right? But Abraham's descendants did become a great nation. And ultimately, all are blessed because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. In Exodus, we see that God uh, fulfills a commitment that he made to Abraham uh, earlier in Genesis, where his people would be enslaved for 400 years, but that he would bring them out of that slavery. The book of Exodus is that coming out of Egypt that the Israelites, uh, Israelites experienced. And it goes on and on in the Bible where we see God's faithfulness in meeting people's needs. He loves his creation, and he wants to keep his promises with them. And I can look at my own life. Like I said, um, and see where God has been faithful to me, where he's followed through on his promises, where he's been my strength when I am weak. He's brought people in my life to counsel me when I didn't know what to do, things like that. The, the point I want to make is this. Uh, when God declares who he is to Moses in Exodus 34, um, he passed by him and he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God of uh, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God describes himself as faithful. He is one who has the quality of keeping his commitments in relationships. For us, or for me, it did beg the question then, 
what type of relationships are we talking about here? Like, God has creation that he keeps his commitments to and the relationship there. So for us, I want to kind of keep it simple. First is our relationship with others, right? And the second is our relationship with God. And I could uh, go theological on a lot of these things, but I think they are very simple answers uh, on the surface of it. So we're going to keep it simple on that. I mean, if I work really hard towards my faithfulness towards my friends, those relationships will go well. If I am faithful uh, to my commitments in my marriage, my relationship with my wife can be one of the greatest joys I will ever know on earth. Uh, if we work, or rather, if I work really hard and keep my commitments at work, I will see my business grow. I will see profits raise and all this. Good things will come about from that. If we work really hard and keep our commitments here in Philida, Philida Baptist Church can be a, a beacon of faith and hope and love for our community. And we can see people come to Christ. We can see God change lives. And that's a good thing if we're faithful to keep our promises. Mind you, we might have you know, to uh, give up a thing or two here, a sporting event every now and again. We may have to miss... That's what TiVo's for, right? Uh, if we work really hard, though, we can start to feel tired. If we work really hard, I might miss out on some other opportunities. If I work really hard, I, I could get stuck in a rut, and my creative juices could stop flowing. Um, if I really try hard at my relationships, keeping my uh, relationship with uh, God and others, I could become arrogant because I'm pretty good at this faithfulness thing, right? I always keep my promises. I never break them. I always follow through with them. Or I could become embittered because I've, I've paid my dues. I have been faithful each and every time to show up. I've kept my promises this way, and I'm not seeing any return on my investment. So I'm just going to stop. I can do that. Now, here's the thing. Paul says these are, this is a fruit of the Spirit. And like all fruit of the Spirit, it can, we can turn it into something moralistic. Is it good to want to keep your commitments that you make? Yes, that is a good thing. Is that what the gospel preaches for us to try harder to have that faithfulness, to work harder at having that faithfulness? Is it on us? No, that is not what the gospel preaches. What it does preach, and you may have heard this before, is that it, it, it uh, exhorts us, it asks us, it begs us to not try harder. Don't try harder, but rather believe better. It's not about trying harder, but rather believing better. And to illustrate my point on that one, uh, I want to tell you about a story in the, uh, in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 14. Uh, Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people. Okay, it says 5,000 men plus women and children, so a big crowd, right? And uh, picking it up in verse 22 of chapter 14, um, after they've, they picked up, the disciples have picked up 12 extra baskets of food and everything, immediately... He made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, 
he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the scene we see here is he's just fed 5,000 people. We've sent the disciples out on a boat. He's praying. Time passes, and they're not making much progress. And I don't know about you, but when I've gone to a lake just to have fun, normally I don't see people walking on water, right? You're not out in a boat fishing or just having fun, and one of your friends decides, oh, yeah, I want to go hang out with them, you know, and walks out to you. No one does that, right? Um, So we get it when the scriptures say the disciples were terrified because this is not normal human behavior. No one walks on water, but Jesus does, right? So there's 12 guys in a boat, a storm, and one guy on the water. Not in it, but on it, right? So what's the sanest course of action here to take? Peter knows what the sanest course of action is, right? He just heard Jesus say it was him, and he says, well, I'll go out and meet him. So uh, he knows this, and, and Peter walks out of the boat, I think temporarily forgetting that people don't walk on water. But he remembers this in a hurry, right? He looks around, and he sees what's going on, and he starts to sink, and he cries out, uh, save me. And Jesus pulls him up and then asks him the question, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter got out of the boat. It was his focus on Jesus that allowed him to get out of the boat and go meet him. So it wasn't a lack of trying that caused Peter to sink. Otherwise, we would have heard maybe Jesus say something to the effect, oh, you a little effort. Why don't you put your heart into it? Why don't you try harder to walk on water? You could have done that. He doesn't say that. He calls his belief into question, right? His faith. That's the idea I kind of want to look at there. So what causes us to have a lack of faithfulness in our lives? As exemplified before when I was going through those things of how we can show our faithfulness, relying on our own strength can cause a lack of faithfulness. At the end of it, I talked about becoming arrogant, and I'm so full of it. At some point, you will not keep a fulfillment, or uh, you won't fulfill a promise, rather. You will not meet that commitment. You can become embittered and stop trying because we don't see a result of that. You noticed how I was saying it's like if I work hard at my relationships, if I 
really try, if we really try here at Philida to work hard. It's the wrong focus. We're focusing on the strength that we have, right? We're not relying on God at that point. So what are we called to do? We're called to believe better, right? By having a faithfulness that is powered by our faith. We want to have a faithfulness that is powered by our faith. That right there then begs the question, our faith in what? I think the better question would actually be our faith in whom? Who do we have our faith in? It's Jesus Christ. So it's not a what, it's rather a who. So when Jesus asked Peter the question, why do you doubt? I think it's safe to say we can ask that question of ourselves. So let's take, take a moment and let's look at who many of us in this room I know believe in and have placed our trust in. Do you know who he is? Do you know who Jesus is? He is the son of the living God. He's the savior of mankind. He has redeemed us to God, right? He is the Messiah. Do you know all of what he's done? He took on flesh and lived among us. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He raised people from the dead. More than that, he died in our place. A punishment that we deserved rightly, he took on him. And he died. Jesus died. The better part, it's cool that he rose people from the dead. He got up. He conquered death. Jesus beat death. Let that sink in. It didn't have a hold on him. This is the man we put our faith in and we doubt. What's he going to do for us? He's going to bring us to a place he is preparing. He's going to bring us closer to to a relationship with God. So I ask, why do we doubt? Why do I doubt? I have no good answer for why I doubt. Other than to say that I forget. Like Peter, I look around and I see circumstance and I take my focus off of Jesus and I sink. Second cause for a lack of faithfulness, the first being relying on our own strength. The second is an actual lack of committing. And that just sounds odd after everything I just said about Jesus, a lack of committing, but it's true. We don't commit. I'm going to set, set aside here for a second. I want you to imagine yourself in a restaurant. For me, I'm imagining myself at uh, the Dory Cove in Lincoln City. Right? That's the restaurant I really enjoy. And I don't know why I look at the menu when I go there, because I always get the same thing. My wife will attest to this. Sandy knows. If it's lunch, I'm going to get a BLT at the Dory Cove. If it's dinner, I'm going to get the halibut fish and chips at the Dory Cove. Both are delicious. I recommend going there. (laughs) Try it. But I look at the menu each time, and I don't commit to anything else because maybe maybe I won't like what I get. Maybe it won't taste good to me. Maybe it'll taste great. Now I've got more options, right? (laughs) 
So then I have to think about what I want when I sit down. All right? More practical example is, uh, other than going to a restaurant like that and trying to figure out what to order, uh, is just uh, at least a monthly occurrence in my home, if not weekly, uh, where Cindy says, hey, we've got uh, meat in the fridge that's defrosted and we need to cook it or otherwise it's going to go bad and we're going to have to throw it out. Do you want the chicken or the pork tonight? I'm good for either one. That's my answer. Whichever. It's a very simple question. What type of meat would you like to eat with your vegetables? And I can't, I can't commit to one or the other, right? <laughs> it's chicken or pork, right? And this type of a mindset, this, this lack of being able to choose and to say, I want that, or I want that, or I'm going to commit to this, this does cripple, uh, it, it hits every generation, but I think more so there's a study that I read that talks about the millennial generation. That's the generation I'm a part of. Right, those people that are born between the 21st and the 20th century, or the 20th and the 21st, however you want to look at it. So I want to speak to those millennials right now. Why do we have a hard time committing? Why do we have a hard time saying, I want that, I'm going to do that? Uh, from, when the study did this, they were, they were looking at just all aspects. What college do we want to go to? What do you want to do with your life? Do you want to be in a dating relationship? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? Each time, or even did you want to go out to coffee tonight? Simple question like that. We have, our generation has a hard time making those choices. And then they asked, why do you have a hard time making a choice like that? Why do you have a hard time cho- uh, making that choice? And the answer that they got most often is that I want to keep my options open. Right? That's, that's the mindset. It's like, okay, I can, I can buy that to a point. And then probing further into that, okay, why do you want to keep your options open? Because if I choose something, I'm going to lose my freedom of choice in that. I'm not going to be able to choose something else. So we've deluded ourselves into thinking that when I make a choice, I'm going to miss out somewhere else. A better opportunity is going to walk by, and I will have missed it because I'm going to do X or Y. The idea that we're going to miss out, and this is for all of us, not just millennials, the idea that we are going to miss out if we commit to something is a lie in terms of bigger, better, right? It's a lie. A failure to commit on any one thing to, and you know, helping you keep your option, options open actually does the reverse. Yeah, it's like, oh, I want to see what my options are. Well, here's the thing. Options start here, and they just keep going, and you don't select anything. And at some point, you're going to run out of options, and you saw all of them, and you can't ever choose them again. Your choice to keep options open was actually a choice to do nothing. You, you'd get nothing if you choose that, right? And it reminds me, actually, of a, a joke where, you know, the floodwaters are coming, and this truck comes by and says, hey, we're all leaving. You want to get in the truck and go? He's like, no, God's got me. We're good here. And so the truck just drives by, and the water's raised, and now a boat goes by, and it's like, hey, we're getting everybody out. And the guy's like, no, God's going to save me. It's okay. 
And the boat leaves. Water's raised some more. And now the guy's standing on top of his roof in a helicopter with a ladder's coming down. He says, dude, grab the ladder. We'll get you out. And he's like, God's got me. Okay, we got other people. And they leave. And the waters rise more. And this guy can't tread water forever. And he dies. And he goes to heaven. And he says, God, what, what's up, man? I thought you were going to save me. And the joke goes that God replies, I sent a car, a boat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? The joke is there, and it serves its purpose, yes. It's that lack of commitment. We rob ourselves of the opportunity to be faithful, to actually practice faithfulness. In not committing, you can't really do that biblical definition of faithfulness, which is keeping your commitment in relationships. Looking back at Matthew 14, Peter made a pretty strong commitment. You know, if my math is right, there's 12 of them in a boat, one dude gets out, that's 11 people that stayed in the boat. The boat is safe. I won't sink necessarily if I stay in the boat. But Jesus is out on the water. Do I have faith in what he has done for me, for us? We can be faithful in all areas of our life because of Christ's faithfulness towards us. We can be faithful in our work relationships, in our personal relationships, in our marriages, in our finances, and in our church. We can remain faithful to our commitments because of Christ's faithfulness towards us. Let's get some meat in here, though, in terms of application. Rubber hits the road kind of thing. And there are those three lines there. I've got three, uh, three practical ways to do it. You can put your own three there. But these, I think, are, are, are some key ones here. Uh, the first being, commit your life to Christ. And I'll bet you saw that one coming. You're in church. I'm talking about Jesus. I really would like you to see, I would like to see you commit your life to Christ. It is a big step. That is stepping outside of a boat. It's saying to God, I can't do this on my own, and I need you to to help me, to show me what true faithfulness looks like. I want to be, be faithful. Please, please show me how. That's what committing your life to Christ does. Second, kind of a creepy one, (laughs) become a member of a church. Become a member of a church. Join a church body. The argument is, why do I need to join a church? There weren't membership cards in the Bible. You know, they weren't, oh, I'm local 592 or whatever. There's none of that in the Bible, right? Why should I join a church? This is why. You are committing to meet in a group like this. It is a commitment to come to the same place to worship God in song, in teaching, in exclaiming what he's done. It's a commitment to people to be in relationship with God's people at a certain location at a certain time. It's that next step. We need that as believers, right? 
There's no membership dues that need to be paid or anything like that. It's just committing to meet with a specific group of people. Third, building on number two, and specific to here at Philida, is joining a Bible Explorer group. So meeting in a group like this is fantastic because we get to worship God. The Bible Explorer group is actually designed where we dig into God's Word, more so. We get to have discourse, dialogue. It's not just one dude standing up and talking. You can question, if you have a question, you are free to ask that question. and People discuss and share ideas, right? What is the Bible saying? We dig into that. More than that, we pray for the church body. Pray for the church uh, finances, for our mission here at Philida, what we're doing. We pray for the missionaries that we support, that we send out, that they would be successful, that they would uh, be able to reach others with the gospel. And then kind of a little, if you want to put a 3A out of that Bible Explorer group, there is actually uh, small groups that you can join, smaller groups. The Bible Explorer group is designed kind of as a, a, I don't want to say, I'll just say a higher level, right? In terms of we're looking at the full church body. The small group is designed to share your life with a few friends, to hold others, uh, rather be held accountable, and to hold other accountable to those commitments that you make. That's what that's designed for. So I would encourage one of those. Now, these are some practical ways, right? And uh, I've been doing this uh, all week at my job, so I bring it here, and I apologize if you weren't ready for some business speak. It's a process titled the Cost-Benefits Analysis. If you're not familiar with that, it's just a fancy way of saying pro and con, right? Weighing what you have to give up to what you receive. And each one of those practical steps actually has a cost, and they have benefits. If you come to Christ, there's a big cost. You have to set down your will, what I want to do. You have to set that down. You have to pick up the will of Christ, the mission that he's given us. The benefit, you get to live life that is truly life. That's one you join a church body, if you become a member, your cost is some time. You're all here, right? There is time that is spent that way. The benefit is you get to see God working in people's lives at a corporate level. You get to see people worship God, and that's encouraging. If you join a Bible Explorer group, the cost is you'll be here more time, one hour, till noon, right? But you get to have a better connection with all these people you're worshiping with. Small group. That's a scary step. The cost is I have to open up myself to other people. The benefit of that is I get to grow spiritually with those people and I get to live that Romans verse that talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So on those things, I do encourage you, do the, do the cost-benefit analysis, do the pro and con, what's good here? And I, I'll bet you you'll see more pros than you will cons, or at least 
it'll be stacked heavier on the pro side. And this is what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear, try harder, try harder, try harder. We've talked about this, right? We want to believe better. If we grasp nothing else out of, out of today and the, the words that uh, are being spoken, I want to grasp this, that only the Spirit, only the Spirit can produce faithfulness no matter the cost. Only the Spirit can produce faithfulness no matter the cost. In and of ourselves, we grow tired of commitment. There are days I don't want to get up and go to work. There are days I don't want to pay the bills. There are days I don't want to exert you know, any energy to fulfill the promises I made to my wife to love and care for because I'm tired and it's my day off and I like sleep. Practical. But with God in us and because of his faithfulness towards us, and what we've seen him do towards us. That fruit of the Spirit grows. Faithfulness in keeping your commitments in that comes from him. We trust in his words that he says and rely on him. So when Jesus called Peter out onto the water, that was a very specific instance. I'm not saying go try and walk on water. But Jesus is calling you to walk out on water. To commit. Faithfulness is tough. It's hard. But remembering Jesus' promises, he's going to be with us. Uh, The end of Matthew, he gives us the Great Commission, and he ends with, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The end of the age is not here yet, which means Jesus is with his believers. But Jesus is our example and our strength, we can exercise faithfulness. Father God, you are faithful to us. When we did not deserve it, you sent your son to die for us and to redeem us to yourself. And we thank you that he did conquer death so that we could know you in life and live life. Father, I pray for the hearts of those here in my own heart that we would Uh, not just try and be moralistic with this, but that we would believe better, have our faith in you so that we can be faithful, that that would drive uh, you keeping your promise would help us uh, keep ours. You are a good God, and we thank you for all you've done for us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.